Hello and welcome to The Man with the Iron Task, a podcast that follows me, Ben Deary, in my improbable attempts to take part in the 2019 Ironman Wales event to raise money for the King's College Hospital Charity and the Great Ormond Street Hospital Charity. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. A couple of days later than promised. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I had originally said that I was going to get this episode out over the weekend and that didn't quite happen. Um, As I record this, it's the evening of Tuesday the 12th of March and I don't really have any excuses. Life just comes at you fast sometimes, doesn't it? I got a bit snowed under by a few things and I didn't quite manage to get the episode out on time. Um, I'm going to have to do another one uh, this week or maybe make next week a a two-episode week to make up for that. But anyway, we're here now and it is my esteemed pleasure to be introducing the conversation that I had with the superb actor and born adventurer Kate Lamb. Now, a lot of you will probably know Kate from her work on BBC's flagship period drama, Call the Midwife, in which she played Nurse Delia Busby. And she's also delivered many much-lauded performances at theatres such as Shakespeare's Globe, Rose Theatre Kingston and Theatre Cloyd, to name but a few. I was delighted that Kate agreed to sit down and talk to me. She's done some absolutely extraordinary things over the years in the name of raising money for good causes. And yeah, it was a real pleasure to sit down and and go through some of those things with her. But before we get into the conversation, I do have to offer up an apology at this point, because for the first time really in the history of this podcast, I encountered some pretty serious technical problems when I was putting this episode together. Basically, um, what I tried to do when when I... conduct interviews for this thing, I uh, I normally try and use three mics. So I'll have a lapel mic and the guest will have a lapel mic and then there's also a backup tabletop mic recording both of us as a sort of last resort fallback. And on the fateful day of this interview, um, after we'd finished the conversation, we went to upload all the audio and in that process, due to a variety of fairly boring factors that I won't go into, we lost the audio from Kate's lapel mic. So that was gone. So that was a bit annoying, but I thought, not not a problem. We've got the backup tabletop mic, that will sort us. No, went to upload that file and the audio was corrupted. So that was no good either. So basically we were left with one audio feed, which was my lapel mic. That's all we had. And, uh, you know, I ummed and ahed about it for uh, a couple of hours, thinking, well, what do we do? Do we, uh, do we redo the interview? Which, I don't know, I think it maybe would have been difficult to capture the same spontaneity and the same sense of fun that I think we had in the first conversation. I didn't want to scrap it and not use it because, it, you know, I feel like it's such an interesting and inspiring conversation. I really wanted to get it out there. So in the end, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have to work with what I have. So that's what I've done. I've tinkered with it a bit to try and make it as easy to listen to as possible, but if you're in a crowded place listening to this on earphones, you might occasionally struggle to hear some of the things that Kate says because she's very off mic. And annoyingly, 
I'm very on mic. So look, nobody's more angry about that situation than me, believe me. I find the sound of my own voice annoying at the best of times. So yeah, I feel your pain. But if you can stick with it, if you're happy to persevere, I do think it will pay dividends because, as I say, I love this interview. I think the stuff that Kate has gotten up to over the years is really interesting and exciting and it was a pleasure to talk to her about it. So, without further ado, here's the interview. Kate, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down and do this with me. Not at all. I'm really, really pleased. I've been, I've been following you since your, um, since your first ambitious Facebook post announcing... It was ambitious, wasn't it? <laughs> And, uh, yeah. and I think I remember commenting and saying, hmm. that's my hometown. Sure well, that was something I was going to come on to as well, which is that you have another link to this, because not only are you a sort of born adventurer, and there's a lot of things that you, exciting things that you've done and that you do that I want to talk to you about, but, yeah, you're also... Uh, that's your hometown, isn't it? That's Tenby. where I grew up, yes. I was born in Cardiff, but I moved to Tenby when I was six. And, yes, basically did all my growing up there wow. until I was 16. And it is just the most amazing... I mean, it will always have my heart. Me and my brother convinced we're going to buy back our childhood home one day when we've yeah. got enough money. Um, because it's just everything... It looks gorgeous. Like, yeah. from what I've seen, I've never actually been there, I'm ashamed to say, but from what I've seen of it, just researching this, it does look like a stunning, lovely place. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you can't really believe you're in the UK sometimes. It, and, and I just remember long, long days just running around the beach and the rocks and sort of jumping off the lifeboat slipway and st- <laughs> things you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> things you're not meant to do anymore, right? No, no. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure it still happens. Yeah. Um, because you find your own entertainment when you live in a very small, yeah. still Welsh seaside town. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, it wasn't, I grew up in Eastbourne, which is, you know, a bit bigger in it, but, mm. but it had that same sense of feeling quite isolated in, in lots of ways. And so you had this, yeah, we would make our own fun and do things that now when I look, when I think back on them, it seems like the kind of thing somebody would come up with for some sort of slightly hackneyed novel about a childhood yes. in an idyllic forgotten... Like, it doesn't even seem or real anymore. play or something. Yeah, exactly. Sort of, yeah. Like, kind like of swallows and Amazons. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah, of yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but I, I agree, there's something nice about sort of growing up by the sea in a place that isn't, you know, especially since moving to London, and now I have, you know, a little girl here, I always think, God, her childhood, if we stay here, is going to be so different to mine. I, yeah, I remember thinking that when I moved here and I, I nannied for a bit when I first left drama school, and I just thought, this is nothing that I can relate to in terms of a childhood. And, yeah. you know, getting a, you know, a buzzy, a bit of a busy London bus mm. home from school and, you know, and then maybe being yeah. carried to a to a tennis club somewhere else in, you know. And just, I would have had a panic attack. I would not have been able to handle it. You know, <clears throat> I've wandered home, you know, either on a bike or by foot or, or whatever else, you know, and we, you know kick our shoes in the dirt and it, mm. you know and, and there was no one around and you know you'd go oh should we go to the beach or should we you know it's high tide later so let's yeah that's all that kind of stuff <laughs> as well knowing what that means you know? yeah. yeah amazing but um like, like I said there's a few things I wanted to talk to you about but the, the big one for me is this frankly extraordinary thing that you did uh, in 2017 yeah um so I'm going to try and summarise it, but I don't even think I can because it is such a miraculous, fantastic, um, impressive thing that you did. So basically, you so you'd, you'd gone out 
to Bulgaria because you were visiting. Uh, it was it. A, is it a foundation that you'd already worked with or friends of yours? Or? Um, it's friends of friends. Friends You've of friends. Sort of started a nutrient campaign. Yeah. yeah. Out in Bulgaria. And and what they do yeah. specifically is they sort of look after dogs who've been abandoned. Would that be right? Or? Yeah. 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 It mm. a, yeah. It's yeah. Street dogs and and dogs who've been abandoned. So yeah. Slightly feral ones or ones that have just been cast out or whatever else. Great. So I'm going to ask you to go into a bit more detail in a second. But <laughs> basically, the top line is you went out there. You met a dog that you fell in love with, and then you decided to bring that dog back to England using a bicycle and a trailer, <clears throat> acro- like cycling across the continent. It's about the that size right? of it, then. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, how did that, like, how did the idea come to you? And like, what? yeah, no, that's <clears throat> it's a fair question, and I, I'll try and give you an answer. But um, in order to get a dog from Bulgaria to the UK, you know, the normal passage is, is on, a tra- uh, on, a, on, a, on a truck, on, yeah. a, on, a, on in a van, in a, in a registered um, animal transport vehicle. Yeah. Um, and they usually just sort of, you know, gun it so the dogs are in the truck for as, as little as possible, but it take four days or something. Right. And I just knew I wanted to be a part of that for Scout, the dog that yeah. I fell in love with. And I... I've got a lot of experience with dogs and I've had a, a wonderful companion for, for 13 years called Willow. Um, and we, and a lot of our bonding experience happened when she was a bit older um, and she came to live with me and I realised that um, going through certain situations that are new to both of you mm. or certainly to the dog um, sort of causes instant bonding and instant yeah. trust. And it's... Um, because you rely on each other and you're your only only constants. And if you can give that kind of guidance to a dog, so the dog goes, I don't know what this is, I don't know what that is, mm. how do we feel about it? And you go, we feel totally fine, stick with me and you'll be fine. And you can keep that promise and you can, you know, um, you can completely protect and, and care for that dog. That dog's trust and sort of respect for you will just be insurmountable, mm. in my experience. Yeah. And so I knew I wanted to at least take her back with me and I thought oh do I want to drive I don't want to drive all that distance that's so far I don't want to drive that on my own with a dog and be miserable for her and maybe I can take a train you know maybe that's uh, kept sort of going down the the list of possible modes of transport (laughs) and I thought no a train will be miserable as well you know it's quite difficult in Eastern Europe infrastructure is not like like it is in, in in more Western Europe and Again, she might be on, in there for, you know, 60 hours. A long time, yeah, for a dog, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I don't know if I... That's a challenge enough for me either. And then I went, mm. bike. Yeah. What about a bike? And the first person I said that to, they were like, oh, a motorbike, yeah, that'd be fun. I was like, <laughs> a what? No. Oh, no, I'm not, no. not qualified for that. No, no. <laughs> no it won't be that. Um, but I, the year before, I'd done one week with this amazing organisation called Thighs of Steel, mm. who cycle from London to Athens, that's um, right. Every yeah, year. Yeah. So that was 2016, and they've been doing it for the last three years. And they raise sort of stonking amounts of money because you can join for each leg. So they'll do a major city every Saturday. So they'll get to a major city. So uh-huh. you can join from London to Paris and then from Paris to um, uh, somewhere in <laughs> southern France or yeah, in maybe yeah. Switzerland or something. And then and then they'll 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 leap their way, and you can just fly in and do a whole week supported by a van. Right. Um, and get to experience all of that, and you rely on your know, wild camping and sort of, and 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 I just really got the the sort of the touring bug yeah. from that. So I how think. long were you? Were you just did you say a week? Did you a say? week. A week. Supported with a van, 
Um, and, and where were you? Did you cycle I from did Rome to Bari right, in right, Italy, right, right. which was fantastic. I did it whilst filming called The Midwife, and I got my dates wrong. God, it was the most embarrassing thing. So I thought, I looked at my schedule, and I looked at my schedule, and I looked at my schedule, and I thought, yeah, I've got a week. I can do that week. I can join for a week. So you were in the middle of shooting a season while you did this? Yeah, well, it was only a wow. week, wasn't it? And I, yeah, and but... I looked at my schedule, and I wasn't, I wasn't in, and I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do it. Because I get itchy, and yeah. I you know when I don't when I don't do stuff. <laughs> clearly, clearly, yeah. yeah. So, That's something um, I think I that out. everyone listening is learning. And then I told I, t- I remember telling the second AD, oh, I'm, I'm off to Italy, and he was like, oh great, I'll, I'll give him a little holiday. Tu- I'll yeah. see you on Tuesday. Yeah. And I was like, Tuesday, what? Yeah, well, you've got that one scene to do on Tuesday. We've relocated it because oh, it no. wasn't. We didn't get to it last time or whatever. And I just completely, completely bypassed that. Right. Um, and had to then basically immediately, I cycled for three days, then cycled to an airport, left my bike. Um, you serious? Left the group, left my bike. You flew back? <laughs> flew back. Filmed. To, and then... Got picked up from, you know, Luton, driven to the... Driven to it's Chertsey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Surrey, yeah. And then... And then back to an airport. And then you went back out to Italy. And I found them again, yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't didn't publish it because it was quite embarrassing. But (laughs) but how fantastic is that? No, it was... And did the producers know that you were doing this or did you keep Mm, it quiet? I think... Okay. Yeah, because I told the second lady, oh, I'm going to go off and do this. Yeah, I guess it's not the same as going off on a stag do, is it? Or something like that where you might... No, I mean, I don't know how happy they were, but... But I, you know, I made my, you know, I did my one scene and, and then hopped off again. Wow, that's um, extraordinary. Yeah, I, well, I don't know, I, yeah. And when you look back at that, that bit of the series, when you look back at that scene, can, can you tell? Like it's done three days, it's only a neat. It's the sort of thing that I'm sure would have come up on points of view, so I think you yeah. got away with it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, why does why does she have a tan? Yeah. A cycling glove tan. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. I'd so, say so that, that that's a new story bug. to me. That had given me the, the touring bug. Yeah. I'd gone, this is really fun. And actually, I was doing it on a really terrible um, sort of seven-speed road bike mm. that, that was really terrible for hills. But I managed it. You know, yeah. I sort of kept on trucking with that sort of, you know, the stubbornness that I that seems to have got me through most of my life um and i thought well with maybe with better equipment and some Mm. sort of preparation i could do it you know pulling other stuff or or, you know well this is one of the things that's so extraordinary about it um from my point of view is that and we should also talk in a minute just about the the charity just to sort Mm. of explain a bit more who they are but very quickly before we do that um when i found out that you were doing that and i started reading your blog it occurred to me that not only was it an endurance challenge because you were talking about cycling literally across Europe, but also there were all these other things that you had to, be, for example, you had to become a really proficient bike mechanic because yeah. what's going to happen if the bike breaks down and you're in the middle of nowhere? You know, you can't just call Evan Cycles to sort it exactly, out Exactly, yeah, just push it to the nearest corner. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, so that's what occurred to me is not just thinking, wow, that's impressive from an athletic point of view, but also just the... The resilience and the skills that you had to learn to be able to do it. I mean, yeah, that all sort of occurred to me after I'd committed <laughs> yeah. to the. <laughs> it's very similar to my experience. <laughs> yeah, <of this. laughs> exactly. You suddenly go, oh, I can do that, and then as you do, you realise all the but, things. Yeah, that you, that but with your thing in particular, just all the, yeah, exactly all the intricate things that are involved in right. So you have to become really good at repairing a bike yeah. and, and also you had to learn how to work with the trailer that obviously the scout was going to use. Yeah, and... so the, there's certain things that I fell back on, you know, that I. Um, 
I know rat dogs, so yeah. I felt confident with that, and I felt like I could I could deal with things that came up regarding that. And I went out for a week, um, a couple of weeks prior to to actually leaving to get Scout used to both me and the trailer, because I knew that would be a real necessary point. So yeah. Had to work that in so that I yeah understood about the trailer and, and how that she'd be okay with it. But I did do a trial run. I mean that's that's the other thing is that you're not only are you doing something that's difficult enough, but you've introduced an animal into I know, it. As well. I've never worked with animals. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. And for the first three weeks, I did consistently kind of go, "You've made a terrible mistake." All um, oh, right. Okay. While you were actually on the whilst I was cycling, I, I was going yeah. to ask you about that. So I was going to say, was there ever a moment where you had you know a sort of dark night of the soul? and thought what the hell have I done like why yeah. why have I put myself in this position yes yeah it was about three weeks in because I had that I had sort of um for the first week or so I had this sort of quite um chipper kind mm. of yeah well we'll just you know yeah I said I'm gonna do it through. I'm gonna do it it's yeah fine. and you're just one day at a time and it'll be fine and as we got into more sort of populated areas and, and better actually better um cycle paths and things like that 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 had been the initial challenge the heat and the lack Mm. of cycle paths throughout bulgaria romania and hungary were the real challenge and then um i started to see sort of sort of stress indicators in scout a little bit and um she if we were sat in a cafe and and people approached or other people dogs approached she would do a defensive barking and when guys approached the tent she would bark and it was out of fear rather than sort of any kind of um uh, protection i mean obviously it it falls into the same category but it was because she was scared and i didn't want her to be scared but i did want her to show people that I was not a lone female, so yeah. it was a, it was a strange situation for me to, to, want to be able to yeah to be able to say you don't need to be worried about that, but also I like what you're doing because you sound like a scary dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not what. God, she was I doing. mean, yeah, that's a whole other. It, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about that and realizing it is a different thing from say me deciding to do something like this because as you say you're, you're, yeah. you're not only doing all those things which are challenging enough on their own but you're also doing it as a woman on your own going across yeah yeah which which has never really been a huge thing um I mean I obviously do have all of those considerations in the back of my head but um I've been very lucky in mm. my life and, and I've, I've not um been um subjected to too much of that sort of yeah. you know um the predatory advances or, yeah, absolutely. or, or sure, sure. It, of, of it's just funny though because how it, that was I was more just saying that because it's an example of how easily as a bloke you can take these things for granted because it just hadn't occurred to me until you said it and yeah. then I thought oh yeah of course there's another yeah Yeah, and sometimes I was wild camping and you know and yeah. sometimes you know seeing you know a, a young girl just cycling on her own and setting up a tent on her own mm. and not a campsite yeah. or whatever else and if if you're observed, mm-hmm. you just don't know how people are going to react to that. Sure. Or people are going to, um, so having so, having scouts bark was useful in that way. I really, I really appreciate. But as you were saying, you were also yeah. a little bit concerned for her sometimes. But yeah, because yeah. I didn't want her to feel um, threatened and that she needed to um, bark when you know. The, mm. So there was there was um, managing of that sort of behavioural aspect whilst also thinking, well, I've got to get to the next campsite and I've got to get you know I've got to I put I gave myself a really punishing schedule. Um, yeah, how long did you anticipate it was going to take to get from I, Bulgaria? I to... thought I could do it in five weeks, which I definitely could have done. Yeah. Until I realised that I wasn't having any fun, I wasn't having any rest days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of went, that's really not the point. I, I learned a really valuable lesson in cycle touring. Yeah. I think 
the problem, and, and I'm sure you're finding this, but the pressure of people donating and supporting and following mm. um, meant that I wasn't, I didn't feel, like, oh, I found a really lovely city or I found a really lovely, you know, campsite with a, with a, a river and a, or, a, you know, a lake that I can swim in and maybe I could just walk around this town for a few days which is what cycle touring yeah. sort of traditionally... <clears throat> that's how it started. That's what it is. It's taking your time and seeing mm. things by bike and, you know, being slower than you might be if you were rushing around with a car or a train or anything else. And But that's not what my challenge was. My challenge was to get my dog, you know, from mm. Bulgaria to London and raise some money and, you know, this yeah. sort of... It, it, I, I built it up more as a sort of endurance feat, which therefore came with those pressures of kind of getting it done yeah. and not failing. And also, I also felt like I couldn't have too much of a good time with... Yeah, I know what you mean, because cause <laughs> it's because it's sort of been... Uh, the whole point of it is that on the surface of it, it looks like such an extraordinary challenge. And it's hard. And it's meant to be hard, and it's going to be yeah. really gruelling, and that's why people are so impressed and they're donating. And they'll give you money. And if you then yeah. turn around and go, I'm having a really lovely time. <laughs> I've just been just been paddling in this pond. And, exactly. Yeah, I know really, what you mean. Really but <clears throat> what's so funny is that from our point of view, of course people following it on the blog and everything nobody felt like that we were all yeah. just thinking oh god you know please don't <laughs> don't make it any more miserable than it already has yeah. to be because yeah because it's such a it was i mean i just i couldn't when it sounded like the plot of a film or something when you announced it i just thought surely that's not the kind of thing that people actually can do in real life yeah um which and the fact that you went and did it, I yeah, I just cannot. I was so full of admiration. How long did it take in the end? Yeah, it took six weeks in the end, and that was. So it's only a week off what you well, said. Yeah, but in the end, I, sh- I that's only because I then really postponed because I wanted to end on a weekend. So yeah, I deliberately right. added a week rather than three days, which is what would have made it more comfortable. Mm. There's three days as I needed, and then so in the end, I spent two days at a the house of some. Holland was so rainy. Yeah. Oh, Holland was awful because it was the second week of September and they got something like a quarter of their rainfall for the year in that week or something. It was just astonishing. So you'd had like baking heat going through. 45 degree heat when we started. It was a heat wave Lucifer. It, you know, killed people. It was, it's terrible. It was so hot. So hot. Yes. And then, but because it was five, six weeks later, Mm. by the time I got to Holland. Um, so it was, and then it was just filthy. It was really windy and really, Right. So did you have, had you got, you know, clothes for all conditions with you or had no. you stopped off to buy stuff? Like, how did yeah, you manage all I, that? I, I packed very much with the, the thought of, a, of doing a, a hot European mm. um, tour. And luckily I, I got followed by a, a filmmaker called um, Catherine Davis from Australia for a bit. And she left me her tent in at the end of Austria, I think. Hello, everybody. I just need to interject at this point because when we listened back to this interview, Kate and I realised that we were sort of talking a little bit at cross purposes here. And the reason why is that when Kate said that she'd been lent a new tent by that filmmaker, uh, she in fact meant to say sleeping bag, which yeah, maybe makes a bit more sense. Basically what happened was that this Australian filmmaker was flying out and uh, she left a winter sleeping bag Uh, further along the route for Kate to pick up at a campsite and Kate says that uh, she was able to pick that up and use her original lighter sleeping bag alongside it so she had one inside the other you know doubling up and Kate maintains that uh, without that to sleep in during her passage through Germany and Holland she probably would have died of cold 
So yeah, I guess we have that Australian filmmaker to thank for the fact that Kate is here to have this interview with me, which is very good of them. So yeah, thanks. When she left right. to fly back, she, you know, she, she, she left it with me. Sort of put on you like, please have yeah, this. Yeah, please have this. You, cause I <clears> because what really you had quite a light, yeah, right. very lightweight. Because I, with cycle touring, it's all about weight, mm. and you're just consistently going. Well, what is the lightest option? What is the lightest? Yeah, option? yeah. Because you are. You're responsible for all of it. You're carrying all of it. Scout was useless. She added 15 kilos. Yeah, I mean, we should we should go through that really quickly. So you've got obviously obviously there's a bike and you, and then you've got um, Scout in the trailer behind you. Yeah. You've got the tent that you're whether it's the light one you started with or the one you ended up with. Um, food presumably. Like yeah. how many days food are you carrying? Well, I tried to carry because um, I got sponsored by Origin, so I um, with freeze dried food, which was lighter, but it meant that I had one resupply um, point in Germany. So uh-huh. I was staying at my friend's house and she'd actually amazingly visited my ha- house about a week before I left and picked up a bag and took it home to her house wow. to meet me in Germany. So that all worked out really nicely. Oh, so she took stuff that I'd pre-packed. So that was half of the dog's food. And then I'd sort of split things very, very small. So sort of a small tube of sun cream and then, a, you know, just enough to use for three weeks. And then... Right. Um, so literally getting down to the point of going oh, anything, even if it means just taking a bit of cream out of this tube. Absolutely, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was just cut in half of it could be. Um, I had a shampoo bath, you know, those um, the ones that you can, the solid ones. Yeah. So I had solid shampoo and soap, which saves on packaging, saves on everything, because um, there's no moisture in it, so you add the moisture. So obviously that's mm. anything freeze-dried, anything dry, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I make just no moisture, that's no not moisture. any of that. But then I ended up... Especially in the um, uh, in Eastern Europe, I had a big five litre water bladder basically, which right. I put in the trailer with Scout. Um, and obviously, five litres amounts to about yeah. five kilos. Um, but it was I needed a lot of water. We both needed a lot yeah. of water, and there weren't often places to stock up, so I was having to carry water for most of the time. And food-wise, I would try and just snack along the way. Right. Stop at bakeries and grab a pretzel. That was my okay. main. That was my main fuel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fueled by pretzels across yeah, Europe. I, I will dedicate you must, this. You must be an expert <laughs> on on pretzels now. You've, uh, you've yeah. sampled quite a range. I have. I've, I've I've eaten them from yeah. Wow. I, it's yeah. It's extraordinary. So so six weeks. You eventually get home. And how does that happen? Like, where do you arrive? Who's there? So I arrived at the the bottom of Greenwich Park, which. Uh, is my local park mm-hmm. and the, the place where Scout will have a lot of her walks I, I imagined at the time and there's a foot tunnel that that um, connects north to south um, oh, right. I um, don't think I knew that underneath the river yeah there's a, a foot tunnel by the Cutty Sark I'm so I like I've lived in London for what more than 10 years now I didn't know that was there yeah by the Cutty Sark yeah Right, okay, right. right. The big old boat. Yeah, I was there like two weeks ago. Oh, with this, yes, yeah, yeah. With, so nice. unless you, because it's a big round building, big round red brick building, mm. with a sort of copper roof, green, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, turned green, um, and so it doesn't. It looks a bit unassuming, but obviously there's a lift in it and, 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 and spiral steps right. that go down, and then there's this, you know, dank, dark sort of London dungeon type thing. Tunnel goes all the way underneath and then up the other side, right, and takes you up to sort of Isle of Dogs. Okay. Place. Um, so I knew that, and I knew there's a big lift. I've you know cycled it before because that's my closest way of getting north of the river. Right. Obviously, every Londoner knows where they can cross. The yeah, river. yeah, of course, and um, that's the way to do it. And 
the lift was broken on the north side going down so I got there and I, I got I got to the north side really on time and I, I knew I was meeting family and friends and they got some banners and things so ready. can I just just very quickly so the, the, the end point was the Isle of Dogs the end point was Greenwich oh okay but, but you're going across are you coming from the north Yes. How so, does that work? Well, I came oh, because you came from. I'm being an yeah, idiot, yeah, yeah. of course. No, no, sorry, no, no, I'm no, thinking that like you're coming out from France. But I no, of course. Come from France. But yeah, yeah. Yes. I was. I was. I couldn't. For a moment there, I thought <laughs> that you conspired to make the Isle of Dogs like the finish line. <laughs> Some oh, kind of really yes, literal pun. Sort of, yes. Yeah. That would have. Yeah. 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 No, your way's much better. Yeah. No. No. My way's rubbish. Trying to get home. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So you're on the north side and you're waiting for the lift. Yes. So I'm waiting. Yes. So I need to get the lift to go down, and I sort of I hang out there. I take some photos. I get a bit emotional. I get a bit sentimental. I look across the river it's a beautiful day it stayed bright and sunny and I can I can sort of see you know the the beautiful um uh museum mm. the maritime museum and everything and I can see Greenwich I can see home I can see it across the water and I just spend some time there because I know I've I've got there a bit early mm. and then I wheel my my bike and my trailer and my dog over to the lift and there's just this big red scrolling signs saying not in service lift not in service oh my god <laughs> and I just went what? and you're thinking the nearest river crossing is well it's the Woolwich Ferry it's the Woolwich Ferry isn't it yeah which oh, and the roads honestly the roads in London I mean you're nearest, cycling in London yeah the I nearest bridge it. is you'd have to go all the way along to like Tower Bridge wouldn't yeah, you have to go yeah, yeah. yes god. Pretty much. Oh my god! Yeah, so I was just like, "This is this is not going to plan." Yeah. Um, the final, just the final moment. You know, I'm so close, um, but there are steps. Yeah. It's just that I have a bag, a, a bike full of you know thirty kilos of stuff, and then a trailer, and it's all very very awkward to carry. Yeah. Um, so I called called my brother, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and he came, and um, and a couple of um, family friends as well, and they walked through the river, the, through the tunnel, oh. and they met me, and we disassembled, and we had to take all the bags off the bike, and we had to you know um, completely disassemble the entire thing, right, and then reassemble it at the bottom, and then the tent at the the tent the um, the lift at the at the south end was working. That was working, so, and it was so okay. everything was completely fine, and it was actually it was actually really nice to have to not do that bit on my own. In a way, I was going to say, in a way, I think that's actually a really lovely way for that to, to come to a close because yeah. after having done that sort of Herculean effort yeah. to then get to the end and there's like the final obstacle <laughs> that you need your family and friends to help you with, yeah. but they're all there and, and they can't, there. you know, it's and lovely. They've, they've been helping me from a distance, yeah. you know, cheering me on, you know, getting donations, everything else. So to have them sort of physically just say, we've got you for this. Exactly, day. yeah. Like not actually, only have they been supporting you in spirit, but actually at the end, yeah. they physically turn up and help. That's lovely. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm getting a little emotional now. Yeah. Just thinking about it. <clears throat> it was, it was really, um, yeah, because I, I could have done it on my own. I absolutely would have uh, had, had to do that occasionally to get over. Yeah, I can imagine. It's the sort of thing I can definitely imagine you do. It just takes 20 minutes. And then <laughs> yeah. you just go, okay, right, fine. Yeah. That's done, great. But it was, yeah, just waiting for my big brother to come was um, much nicer. That's great. <laughs> and so then yeah. Scout settled into a new home? And, she did. Yeah. She was a bit I think because we'd never spent more than two nights in the same place mm. for the last six weeks. You know, we'd always been moving on, and occasionally we, you know, we'd been in houses and we relied on the kindness of strangers. You know, quite a few times and a couple of hotels here and there. Yeah, I was going to ask. So for most of the time, were you in the tent, mm. and then sort of every so often you 
stop at a hostel or how yeah, did it work? Yeah, so hotels every now and then. Hotels in Europe are really dog friendly. So yeah. it really wasn't hard to find somewhere. The first time was when she rolled in something so foul that I couldn't, um, I still dream about it. It's just, like, it's just the most foul thing. I, I can't, yeah. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> but I needed a shower and copious amounts of shampoo mm. um, in order for us to she was not getting anywhere near my tent basically that yeah. night. so so a couple of times it was if it was really really rainy if my dog was particularly stinky um, but most of the time it was the tent and it was really nice yeah um, it was, it's a lovely tent um, and fits us both perfectly yeah. and we were really safe and comfortable in it um, so and it was just mostly really great weather as well so mm. it was mm. much nicer I felt to be outside and, and to be with all my stuff as well because yeah. your life's on the bike so yeah all your gear is there it's weird yeah. when you have to put it in a hotel shed or you know or you, know, you sort of go oh but is it all right and will somebody come in and knock it over and yeah. you know i really didn't like letting it out of my sight well because you're as you say you're depending on that yes. for the whole six weeks that you're doing this that is your that's like your lifeline really it's everything. all your stuff it's the house it's the it's yeah. the car it's the you know yeah. it's, it's it's everything it's um yeah, so I, I, I preferred camping, yeah. if I could. I can understand that. And, and in terms of how Scout was making the journey, I suppose for a lot of the time she was in the trailer, but also yeah. a lot of the time was she running alongside? Yeah, so she was quite young at the time. She was sort of eight, nine months, and you shouldn't really run dog, like have dogs mm. really running when they're that young. Right, right. Um, just because it's bad for their bone development and stuff, mm. and you can shock okay. them. And she was malnourished as a pup, so, yeah. so you know, wanting to wait till she's definitely strong enough to do kind of running. Um, so, yeah, she would trot alongside um, when it was safe, morning and evening, mm. just before and after we stopped, you know, um, um, we camped. Um, but most of the time she was sat having a trailer. little having a little rest having while you were pedaling along yeah, just watching just sort of <laughs> slowly you know just just slyly casting you know what on earth is this person doing yeah just sort of going <laughs> i mean i really don't think it helped out <laughs> she thought i was a right mug just sort of go on peasant keep yeah going. keep going carry me carry yeah, me across yeah, she, the border she doesn't think she's a street dog at all well I, if you're okay talking about it i was going to ask you a little bit about so so how did you find scout and what was the situation when when you found her so scout comes from bulgaria um, from a shelter called Street Hearts, mm-hmm. who I discovered um, through friends of friends, um, basically in the parkour community, some, some parkour climbing friends who mm-hmm. ended up staying at um, Emma and Anthony's, who own Street Hearts, um, in a bungalow there. And they'd rented out this bungalow in order to pay for dog food because they'd suddenly found themselves with about 15 dogs. Yeah, and how did, property. how did that happen? Did they because, set... they're, because they're British expats. Yeah, yeah. And they settled in Bulgaria to just kind of live the life of Riley and have a nice have a nice life um, mm. in you know beautiful beautiful scenery. And they noticed there was a really big you know street dog problem, which mm. I'm sure a lot of people sort of are aware of or at least sort of have heard about. Um, but yeah, in Eastern Europe, there's a lot of stray dogs, and there was you know there wasn't. Um, a lot of collective responsibility from municipalities or governments or anything else to sort of tackle it. Mm. And they just thought, well, they took in a couple, you know, they found one on a tip, called a tipsy, cleaned her up, you know, she's this beautiful husky thing, mm. um, Mix, who's the uh, the sassiest dog you'll ever meet. She just, <laughs> she sits on tables and drinks your coffee. I mean, <laughs> she's, you know, I very much disprove of her. Um, <laughs> 
but she, you know, she she's landed on her feet, having been thrown in a tip and covered in grease oh, at one God. point. But they'd gone to the tip and found this dog and thought, you know, yeah. this is this is a poor state of affairs, you know. Yeah. And they just continued seeing really horrible sort of instances of of dogs, you know being abandoned lots of stray, groups of stray dogs you know constantly getting each other pregnant and then mm. just puppies and then mm. it gets worse and worse it right? gets worse and yeah. worse you know we all, we've all seen the pyramids you know mm. one dog can have this many babies and then within eight months they can have this many babies and yeah. then they can have this many babies and you know and it, and it and it's unsustainable and it causes a huge amount of suffering because those mm. dogs can't sustain um you know because there's not enough food and there's not enough resources and there are a lot of you know um, diseases and things out mm. there and then Added to that, a lot of the population try and get rid of the problem by poisoning with not very nice poisons oh, and, God. you know, or, or setting traps or shooting. And um, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of suffering. Mm. And that can only really be tackled by reducing um, the amount of dogs that are being produced. Um, so they started a nutrient campaign and they, you know got involved with the mayor and the municipality and and they got some funding and they worked with a local vet and they would catch dogs, take them to the vet and release them again. Mm. Um, And lo and behold, they ended up discovering puppies and going, well, we can't just release puppies because we can't neuter them and we won't be able to catch them in six months' time or whatever. Mm. Um, And also they won't survive, you know, and and look at them, they're so cute. Um, Because they're puppies. Of course. Um, so then they ended up sort of going, well, can we try and rehome them? And certain dogs that they found that weren't actually feral, because you can release a feral dog, a dog that knows how to be on the street, that that's all it's ever known. And it'll and look doesn't, after Yeah, it'll look after itself, <clears> work <throat> it out. And it doesn't want to be in a home, it doesn't, want, yeah. it doesn't relate to people, it's feral enough. It's not domesticated. It's, yeah. it's not domesticated, it would much, much rather, you know, it's actually cruel to take a dog mm. that's been on the streets for six years and doesn't relate to humans. Um, you yeah. know, and is feral because they just feel like why am I in this house yeah What's going exactly on? they'll yeah. never really adjust to a, yeah. sort of a, a home life but then there are dogs that have been with humans either been in their gardens chained up or mm. have been pets until they've then got pregnant or you know too much to handle or whatever and then they've been thrown out and those dogs can't cope on the streets no, yeah. and so those dogs are quite easily identified because we can you know you can tell the difference just um, in the way they interact with human beings yeah, yeah yeah they're often usually very scared and we get a lot of fear aggression but that usually disappears quite quickly once mm. they realise that they're safe and that they're on a lead or whatever and they go, oh, okay, this is a human and, mm. you know, and I've had good dealings with humans. Yeah. So often they've had bad ones as well. So um, they're familiar with that and you can tell from their reaction, yeah. whereas a completely feral dog would just... Yeah, and, yeah. and we'll have observed them as well. So quite, yeah, hard, yeah. you know, the, the, um, Street Hearts, Emma and Anthony, they get told about certain dogs and they observe them and they go, yeah. okay, well, we can try and trap that one there or we know that one goes there quite a lot or whatever. And you sort of know the history. Mm. Um, and you can usually tell whether a dog sort of wants, what you know, wants to be actually part of a, a family or, or yeah. with humans or is happier. Some of them are happier to live at the shelter forever and ever and they'll never find homes, um, but it's safer for them at the shelter than on the streets. And, and so they're running a shelter now, basically. So not, basically, not having necessarily set out to do that. Oh, That's, God, no. Yeah. It was entirely accidental and part wow. of my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they're delighted with you. <laughs> I mean, they're very nice about it, and they do sort of say that I've helped them a lot, but actually I think I've got them into a real mess, but they've got about 70 dogs now. Because when 70? I went, Yeah, wow. when I went to visit, 
um, in March, it's because I'd lost my um, my dog Willow. Mm. I'd had to put her down just before Christmas, and I was missing dog. And you said thirteen years. You'd... Yeah, yeah. So she was she was my dog from yeah from when I was about sixteen. Um, yeah, and we were we were proper pals. And we lived yeah. together, and you know I think she came to Lambda a couple of times. Yeah, I she's, think, yeah, yeah. she'd been backstage at several theatres. She came on tour with me with the Globe. You know, she was a, she was a good dog. She yeah. was a good dog, and she did a lot of good adventuring. Um, so I missed having a dog around. I was at risk of becoming, becoming a crazy cat lady because I just had Bob. Um, <laughs> Bob cat with. Me. I love names like Bob for cats. It really makes. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Him, I just see, love kind of names that you would normally expect to give to sort of middle-aged men. Yeah. I find that really funny. I don't know why. Anyway. No, no, that's fine. It's, it's my mother. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl when we first when we identified that we wanted to have him. So. Oh, it was it a, a, It's a black. It's a black hat reference. Yeah. Oh, amazing! I didn't know yeah, that. So Great. Bob. 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 Yeah, Bob. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but anyway, um, I went out to Bulgaria just to sort of. Um, I didn't have any acting work, and I was a bit restless, mm-hmm. and thought. Actually, I tacked it onto the end of a ridiculous amount of like three weeks of skiing and snowboarding, and just kept going, kept heading east. That's, I've, mm. I've been to France, and then I went to another place in France, and then I went to Austria, and then I just went, oh, well, Bulgaria is only just there, isn't it? So I'll just keep going, because I was restless. And, um, and dogless, I didn't have a dog to come back to. Um, yeah. I usually didn't go away for that long, because... You, you know, have to come back for the dog, I yeah. I come back for the dog, but I didn't have that, so I just sort of kept going. And I just saw the amazing work that Emma and Anthony were doing, and I was so inspired by them, but I could see how what they needed they needed you know more shelter areas they needed a, a clinic area they needed mm. um money for vaccinations and passports and everything else and i just thought you know an injection of cash could really set them up mm. um so i set up a little mini fundraiser and just sort of you know did some nice copy and you know gave them the name as well I, it was it was the name for the fundraiser i just mm. thought you know rather than what they were yeah that was the name for the for the the fund me page basically wasn't yes, it yes exactly yeah. the GoFundMe. it was just it was just I wanted something sort of snappy and, yeah. and that, that sort of said more than the Giannovo Municipality yeah. Neutering Foundation. And so it was <laughs> Street Hearts BG, is that right? That's yeah. it for, for Bulgaria. Yeah. yeah, so I just, because I felt like they were, yeah, they were doing a lot of really good work and they had hearts of gold and they just... They sound like yeah. saints, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not, don't get me wrong. They, yeah. They're normal human people, yeah, sure. but they are doing some really good no, work. No, I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you set that up and and then when did the, like I said, the idea to, to... Because obviously the whole journey with Scout across Europe was partly to raise money for them as well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So then, in, so then I went back out in May. They sort of basically said, come back. Um, because I had shown them, because I, I work with dogs a lot, um, mm. But I'd sort of, we picked up some six-month-old puppies who had been on the street for their whole lives. Um, and so I think they both did some biting when they were caught. You know, it's a natural fear reaction to yeah. being touched. They've never been touched by humans. And within a week, I had them walking on leads. And they've now both got really lovely homes in the UK. Oh um, but I showed Emma and Anthony how to lead train and how to use food and how to reward and how to, um, how to work quite quickly with dogs that come in especially young dogs Mm. so they don't get used to um being able to just sort of dart around and not get, not do the human interaction because because yeah. they're scared of it they won't throw themselves into it just naturally. avoid it they'll avoid mm. it and then they'll end up being those scared dogs that are difficult to rehome so you've got to work with them quite quickly as soon as they come in so I I, I did a lot of work 
um, showing them sort of certain things that they should do and what, you know, how to avoid <laughs> being bitten too much. Well, I mean, they, they know how to avoid being bitten, but yeah. what, what certain dogs are displaying and why yeah. and what you can do to sort of alleviate their fears or, or, or how they're feeling. Um, so I then, they then said, come back, come back out, and that was May. And they, I did, and then they said, we've, got, we've picked up a couple of dogs and I think you'll really like one of them. Wow. And, yeah. So they anticipated. What, what, yeah, have they, yeah, have they told already. you what it was that they thought you were going to like about Scowl? No, because I'd said when I was out there, they were like, okay, you, so how many are you taking? And I said, well, I need to take my time. I've had a wonderful dog who's, yeah. you know, and, and I can't just jump, you know, jump into this. And also my dog, I need to know that I can work with my dog mm. um, and I can bring my dog anywhere. You know, I need to be able to train my dog to come and sit in rehearsal. Yeah, because exactly, you bring your dog set. to yeah, the theatre, to the sets, yeah. Exactly. exactly. So I need to know that I've got a dog that I can work with in that capacity mm-hmm. and is going to be chilled enough to, or, or will be, um, to sort of deal with that yeah. um, as long as I, you know, hold up my end of the bargain, which is always to give them the exercise and the um, sort of stimulation that they need. Yeah. And then they can reward me by sleeping when I need them, when I yeah. need to do my work. Not barking all over the take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which, you know, to be fair, a lot of people's dogs do, but I'm not I'm not yeah. the level of fame where I can get away with it. I yeah. <laughs> I've, known, I've seen that hand before. Not going to mention any names. Well, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> but no, my dog has to be has to be well behaved, otherwise I'm off the set. Um, <laughs> so I think they just, they knew that I needed one that was quite clever, um, and not not wildly feral, um, and one that was relatively young. But I had been looking for a boy. I thought I wanted mm-hmm. a boy, um, but this one was a girl. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, they are, you know, she came in with her sister. And so and where had they been? Where where'd they found them? So they'd been picked up at a little local train station in a little tiny village right. and they'd been there for about a month by the time they actually got picked up just living there just, just right. yeah but they'd definitely been dumped there so they were about they were dumped at about three months so it's about so 12 weeks old or whatever she's sort of around the age that people start taking their puppies home you know if, yeah if they buy if you bought from a breeder or whatever yeah, yeah you usually get them around 10 weeks or so and so they were just dumped to sort of left to fend for themselves so they ended up getting very very skinny oh god her and her sister um, and yeah, and, and Emma and Anthony get calls every single day saying, come get this dog, come get this dog, you know, we've got this dog, or there's a dog running around trying to eat people or whatever. They're invariably not trying to eat people, yeah. but there is a certain, there's an element of, of fear within the Distress culture. Distress. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and misunderstanding, actually, from the people, um, because it, it's not, it's not, the pet dog is not within the culture of, the, the, in the same way that it is here. Right, right. Um they're a sort of tool mm. or something to be used. Like to, a working animal. Yeah, yeah, to hunt or to protect or anything like that. Mm. And so they expect dogs to be protective and, and barky and scary, and then they're quite often not. Mm. Um, for our eyes, anyway, you know, yeah. different for them. Um, so by the time Emma and Anthony got to them, yeah, they'd been there probably about a month. Um, and they're wow. quite skinny and little, um, but fairly friendly towards people. Um, so, which leads us to to think that she was possibly born in a garden mm. by someone who had an, a dog who was owned 
and that dog became pregnant. Yeah, dog became pregnant, and luckily they didn't cast the dog out, which is sometimes what happens, so they don't have to deal with it. Really, just the whole... They'll just dump the whole shebang. So we'll get dogs that are heavily pregnant, um, just dumped, and sort of desperate to try and find somewhere safe to be, enough food. You know, the amount of distress that a a pregnant dog goes through trying to provide for its puppies which then in their, invariably die of some something if they're on the streets and they can't feed them yeah. or you know get them properly treated so it's it's really horrible it's, and, it, and it is all just preventable as well which is, yeah um yeah so anyway so they they picked them up took them back to street hearts and then um i came within the next week or so and they just sort of say, yeah, they're quite bright. They're really annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is the thing when you've got clever dogs. Yeah. That they're constantly in and around and going, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's yeah, that? Yeah, What's yeah. that? Can I help? Can I steal that? Can I do that? Um, so <laughs> um, I did. I did fall in love with her. I did um, I did think she was a, a bright little thing. And she was so food motivated as well. But that's because she was starving. Yeah, so it turns yeah, out now that she's incredibly fussy. And really? once she got up to a good weight, she was like... Mm, don't want that anymore. Yeah, not, not that bothered. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she... Oh, I've got a bike full of food for you, yeah, for goodness sake. Yeah, literally, literally. This is really expensive, really high quality food. And she's like, mm, no, don't want can that. you put some cat meat on it or something? Could you get me a pretzel, please? Yeah, yeah. she honestly, she, oh, she turned into such a diva. And wow. she is, she is a diva. She's a very um, princess-like dog, very unlike me. Yeah, although it's funny because um, you've mentioned a while back. You, you mentioned parkour being yeah. that being sort of how you came to know the people who run Street Hearts, and that's something that you've managed to get scouts to do a bit of as well, haven't you? Yes. So you've been doing that now for how many years? Has it been now. It's been a while, right? Yeah, God, yeah, probably has. I mean, on and off, you know, yeah. depending on on work commitments and commitments and everything else, an injury I had a bit of an injury for a year or so. But yeah, so I've been doing it for maybe five years or so. And and you have actually managed to get her. Yeah. I've seen on on Facebook that she can do the odds. What's it called when you sort of? What is it called when you kind of run? And then bounce off a wall. Yeah, it's a tic tac. There you go. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm demonstrating my complete lack of credibility there. She, yes, we worked up to a tic tac, and I'm quite pleased. And she loves it now. She yeah. absolutely loves it. It was something I didn't think she was enjoying until she realised how fun it was. Yeah. And then now, I, as we're walking, I'll just tell her to jump on a wall, jump on that log, jump on whatever. And now she does it she naturally. It. She sort of goes, "Oh, this is actually really fun and empowering." And that's the sort of the strength of, of, um, of bonding with your dog and doing yeah. activities with your dog because um, yeah. it's not competitive we're not doing agility we're not sort of you know trying to do it competitively we're doing a fun thing together and I'll do it with her you know I'll mm, climb mm. up there with her and it's really strengthened our bond a lot and how, how did you get into that was it the same thing was it just the kind of restlessness that you yeah. <laughs> experienced that made you think I'll give that a go that, yeah I know. think so and just like definitely you know I mean I, I don't know if you're like this but when I was at school and at um uh, at college and at university I was always part of the sports team so I was always doing stuff I was always there was always something um, to be involved with active activity wise yeah I mean <sighs> well I, I am but not in the same way that you do it like you know I, lo- I enjoyed playing sport I enjoyed playing rugby and stuff and I used to run a lot when I was at school and, and I like it when there's a kind of organised activity in place but at the same time I have to I mean you were talking about how you were in Europe and you just thought well now it's just a bit further east to go to Bulgaria yeah. I have to fill out a risk assessment before I'll go to Kent <laughs> let alone just like oh, I'll just go into that country so I don't think it's on the same level as you because I, I don't know if this is right or not but I get the sense 
like I said earlier, that you're kind of a sort of born adventurer and that you, I mean, is that true? Have you always sort of sought out these kind of experiences? Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, I went, I went to Africa when I was 16 on my own. Um, yeah, see, something like that, I, I, I you know, I, I just, it wouldn't have occurred to me, I think. Not even that I would be afraid, but it's just, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had that thought. I'm not as, um, yeah, I'm not as adventurous as you. My so grandfather, um, who has sadly passed away, is called Ulrich Middlebow. He's a Danish man. Um, That's an amazing name. Yeah. <laughs> Ulrich Bernard Middlebow. Yeah. Um, actually, no... <laughs> That's not right. His first name is Bernard. He's Bernard Ulrich Middlebow, but he always went by Ulrich. I, I really that hope is... that you were going to say his name was Bernard Ulrich Bernard Middlebow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be cruel, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, unfortunately it's worse one. because one Bernard bit. Ulrich Middlebow um, translates, obviously, the initials spell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I missed that. Bum. But, sure. But he was, but he was christened in, in Denmark, where, yeah. where bum it's not doesn't a thing. mean yeah, any, yeah. anything. Yeah. But then he moved to Kenya with his um, parents when he was very little, and he grew up there um, speaking Swahili and English, and actually has had very little Danish. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, but then he lived in... Spain and America and everywhere else and 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 was a born adventurer. He had a pet cheetah as a pup, as, no as, way. As, as a child and yeah. I mean, his, his oh. story, the stories of his life are inspiring to us all as grandchildren. But um, I have recently, my grandmother did me the great honour of saying um, how much of a, a chip off the old block I was. Hmm. Um, recently, on, on the anniversary of his um, his death, we were, I was celebrating in the mountains and I said I thought it was apt. Um, yeah. Because well, there you go. He loved. So he 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 was part of some insane record-breaking um, Mount Kilimanjaro rescue mission um, back in I can't even remember 50s, 60s, some no earlier than that. The highest ever helicopter rescue right. um, of anybody at that point. They had to take their headlamps off the helicopter in order to get it up to the extra altitude they needed because it, it wouldn't, just wouldn't go any higher. It wouldn't go any higher. It was too heavy. Because the air is too just, yeah. yeah, it just couldn't. Too thin up there. Um, wow. And so then they were racing against time because of the light and the light was disappearing over the mountain. And so they had to get. He had to get his fallen comrade to to a certain point that the helicopter could get to. Um, and he'd spent the night with with the fallen friend whilst two people had gone. So he was on the mountain already. He was on the mountain, and um, trying to get this guy who'd broken his leg um, oh down to a safe place. On his own. yeah, I mean, it, he, no, there is just story we could do. I could do a million <coughs> podcasts about my grandfather's just life. about his life. But I do. We we are very we were very similar. There's a, an amazing video of us shooting a old brass cannon out with. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tiny little decorative one that they brought over from um, from Denmark and then to Africa, and it ended up in my grandma's and we um, in Essex, and we'd unpacked it. Me and my grandfather, he was very old at this point, and he'd looked at it, and we'd sort of it, there was a little t- a small amount of shot, and then some gunpowder, and we thought, well, we'll repack it and see if we can shoot it out on the on the tennis court, and. Uh, <laughs> And um, and we we ended up going. I'm not sure there's enough gunpowder. The two of us discussing. Maybe we should get some extra um, from uh, one of his old shotgun pellets. I was going to say, where are you going to get gunpowder? <laughs> so we cut up one of his old shotgun pellets and um, packed it with whatever that is, the the sort of magnesiumy type 
well, I can't remember. He'll mm. oh, he'll be very annoyed with me. Um, <laughs> remembering the terminology. <laughs> Not remembering <laughs> the exact type of explosive device that, that you're using. <laughs> and then we so we packed it in, and we thought, yeah, that'll be enough. That'll be fun. Hopefully, it works, and we had great fun. And then we we I lit it, um, and we were all gathered on the on the tennis court waiting for it to go and it and it and it did and it shot backwards of the recoil so fast as heavy brass cannon on a wooden sort of block and made the just the most most oh street you know it's just the hugest bang and there's a there is a little video of it and all you can hear is mine and his laughter everybody <laughs> else going are you all right is everyone else is concerned this? yes who's yeah. hurt is anybody okay are the children all right and my little cousins and the dogs have run off and me and my grandfather just howling with laughter with how exciting it was oh there you go so there's definitely a kindred thing going <laughs> I on i think there. so yeah and i do think that i've always wanted adventure and i've always wanted to do stuff um, with the, the trip that you made to africa when you were 16 what was so that was actually i just i was bored Mm. Um, with Wales and applied to an international school because I thought mm. how can I don't want to wait for a gap year right gap yeah, is yeah. a traditional kind of you can go travelling on your gap year and you thought that's still two years <sighs> off so far away <laughs> so far away when I was 11 my parents amazingly had had, had work in India they were animated um, uh, writers for animation oh, right. and they ended up going to Kerala in South India for um, 10 days or something and my parents thought it was a few days off out of half term and they just thought this is an amazing experience we're going to take our children yeah. and so they took us out of school um, I was in about year six I think and I just I just remember my mind being blown by just this the idea of different culture and I wanted I wanted to go to school there I wanted the, I said, there are schools here just leave me I want you know I just, <laughs> just leave me here in India I oh such a fool I'm making a curry for us now at lunch as you know you've yeah, seen yeah. it in the slow cooker it looks great it's yeah delicious. but I um at that age, did, hated Indian food and right. had a uh, French omelette every single day. In India, in yeah. Kerala? <laughs> yes, to the point where I couldn't eat French omelette for about four years afterwards because yeah. every single day I just had a plain omelette because I That's didn't so eat funny. any Indian food. Such a fool. Wow, so you're and, uh, adventurous in many ways, but your food not, choices... <laughs> not taste-wise. <laughs> very conservative. Very bad. Wow, yeah. wow amazing. Um, so then I actually, from that point, kind of went, well, how can I go to school in a different country? And then I discovered the United World Colleges, mm. which are an organisation who have um, colleges that um, work towards international understanding, and therefore they, they have an emphasis on creating an, a student body that is as international as possible. Mm. So they've got them all over. There's one in Wales... Um, there's one in Africa, in, in Southern Africa, in Swaziland, which is where I went to, Waterford Kamshava. And there's got one in India, and there's one in Italy, and Norway, and a couple in um, the Americas. And so, yeah, just they've got them all over, and they try and create an international body. So I got sent, you know, so it's a group of British kids. One got sent, you know, two got sent to Italy, two got mm. sent to Norway, one got sent to India, you know, and in order to sort of be the representatives of, of those nations in a way. Yeah. So a little UNE type thing, but it is just, but it's wow. just a school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I applied there thinking this is my opportunity to make friends from different cultures and, you know, in different countries and everything else and therefore be able to maybe travel and visit mm. um, and potentially also if I didn't get into the one in Wales or I wasn't, you know, um, allocated a spot there, potentially one 
in a completely different country. And I have always had an affinity with Africa. My mum was born there, my grandmother was born there, my, um, you know, I've got, but I've never been, I'd never mm. been. Um, and that was Kenya rather than Swaziland, but I, it's always been a sort of a, a magical, yeah. um, it had always been a magical continent. Had a real draw, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just sort of, just sort of family lore and everything and books that I'd read as a kid and everything like that. So, uh, and then I got offered a place and a scholarship and set off into the great unknown at age 16 wow. to do my um, international baccalaureate there. So how long were you there for in the end? Two years. Two years. So that's where yeah. you did your OB before you went to uni. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I stayed out for a little bit longer after that. You know, I had a lot of firsts there, and it mm. was yeah, very you know, and 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 away from my parents. Although, you know, mobile phones just had happened, so They're kind of creeping in, weren't they? I'm thinking. So about. I could send texts <clears throat> and things, and email was, you know, iffy. Internet access was a bit dial-uppy and a bit mm. tricky on top of a mountain. Yeah. Um, but there was contact. It was you know possible. I actually did wonders for mine and my mum's relationship because we weren't on top of each other. Right, and right, we, yeah. were, we were just there for each other, filling each other in on what was going on, um, which actually, you know, I knew she was there when, when I needed her. And she got to stop worrying about me because there's absolutely nothing she could do if I went out <laughs> on a night out. Yeah, it's not like she can jump in the car and drive out there. <laughs> exactly, or stay up till I've come home. She's got no yeah. idea. So I think it did a lot of good. Um, it gave her mm. a lot of good training for... Um, everything else for everything you've done so, since yeah, yeah she's just gone well I had to when you were 16 let you go and let you deal with it and and you're very much not finished with all this stuff are you because <laughs> you've got lots I know that you've got sort of plans of things that you want to do going forward and is there anything in particular that you've got your sights set on now or? Um, I really want to do something based on water I'm a, I, did, I followed the Danube um, and the Rhine on my cycle uh-huh. and I I saw I watched people on canoes and, and, and things like that and, and boats and I and I thought, that's something that I haven't mastered yet. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I loved cycling and I've got a dog trailer in the back and, I've, mm. you know, we've brought it out a couple of times. But I am a little bit, I'm, a, I'm one of those, I just hop onto the next thing. Yeah. Um, and I did buy a paddleboard. So <laughs> you're going to paddleboard from Australia to <laughs> India? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, there's so many people who've done, like... I mean, there, there's another element of danger there when you're out on the open water, as you are probably... Uh, well, yeah, in Carmarthen <laughs> Bay, yeah. which apparently there are jellies in there. But, yes, but, yeah. yes. My friend Jada was telling me that she's consistently terrified of jellies. Yeah. We, should talk about, we should talk about Iron Man Wales in a second. We should, but yeah. before But before we do that... Um, I think what's really lovely about the story of what you did in 2017 is that it's just, I mean, A, it's an incredibly inspiring feat to cycle from Bulgaria to the UK across Europe. But then also, on top of that, the fact that you raised money for charity doing it, which is obviously a great thing. And then the other thing that I really love about it is that it is itself an act of charity because, you know, you rescued a dog and mm. brought her home and gave her a really lovely life here. Oh, that's so, a really lovely way to frame it all. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a really heartwarming story. It's oh, really... I, I, yeah, yeah. I, can't really, I can't really believe that I did it when I yeah. look back at it. I, I went back and looked at my blogs and went, oh, yeah, that happened and that happened. I just kept going. Mm. And I do remember that. And I, I think that's what will see you through mm. um, the event. Yeah. It's, it's just the well you just got to keep going and you can you know you can unless unless you have a terrible injury and that's something that no one can predict or protect yeah. against really you know then then you'll just keep doing it because you want going. to and there's there's stuff riding on it 
you know, and you're doing it for a fantastic cause hmm. that's really close to your heart and, and a lot of people's. Yeah. And that's that's going to be more than enough. That's definitely what I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah I'm hoping I, I, that. I truly believe that. I'm hoping that it, it matters enough to me on a very personal level that hopefully, however physically uncomfortable it gets, it'll yeah. just be a question of, you know, come on, it's only this one day of your life yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. got to get through it yeah don't make That's it last more than a day yeah <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> god <laughs> I'm imagining just being out there still in October everyone's just, hey, you've been disqualified just yeah, stop stop no. scratch me <laughs> got to keep going <laughs> so there we go uh, you'll hear a bit more from Kate uh, later on in the series of this podcast uh, she'll crop up again in a future episode in a week's time or a couple of weeks time maybe discussing her hometown of Tembe Uh, So yeah, look forward to that. And in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the charitable causes that we discussed in that interview, there's uh, Street Hearts BG and also Thighs of Steel, who do a lot of great work for refugee causes. And uh, yeah, I'll put links to those two organisations in the description of the episode. So yeah, that's us done for another episode. Like I say, I need to make up a bit of ground, so you might be hearing from me a little bit more frequently than you have been over the next couple of weeks or so. Sorry about that, but uh, you know, I did make a 45 episode commitment and damn it, I'm going to stick to it. The Man with the Iron Task is a charitable podcast in aid of King's College Hospital and Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children. To find out more, go to www.manwiththeirontask.co.uk.